Well, I don't know if you remember in the, the first sermon that we did here in 1 John, um, I was talking about how much I would love to hang out with John. He's just a, uh, from the things that we read about him in the Gospels, the, the things that we read uh, through his, his writings, through the letters, he, he just seems like somebody that, that has just got such a gentle heart. I know that he's called one of the sons of thunder by Jesus, um, but his letters, I just don't see that. And, and this passage that we're looking at today is one of those places where it just gives me this feeling that, that he would be such a wonderful friend, such a, not just a friend, but a mentor, uh, that, that his care and his love and his gentleness, uh, with, with those that, that he loves would just be so, so neat. You, you remember, if you've got your Bibles, turn to First John with me. Um, in this last little section that we did of chapter 2, verses 7 and following, uh, we've got a number of things here that, that John had some, uh, some good things to say, some hard things to say. He, he talks in verse 8 that, uh, that this is a new commandment that he's writing. Um, and he reminds us that the darkness is passing away and that the true light is already shining. He goes on to verse 10 and then says, Whoever loves his brother abides in that light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. And we, we're feeling good about ourselves. There's an excitement. There's a hope that, that, that the darkness, the, uh, the, the, the weight of sin and everything that has held us all captive is passing away and we are entering into this light. And, and that there, when we're in that light, there's no, there's no cause for worry of stumbling. But then he says in verse 11, uh, but whoever hates his, his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes and suddenly there is this sinking in the pit of my stomach because as much as I would like to think that I am walking in the light, that I love my brothers, I know that there's times when there are people that just make it very hard for me. None of you here, of course. But you know how that goes, that there are circumstances, things that people do and things that people say that you just want to, oh, I can't believe they would do something. And there's that anger that wells up within you. And John says that when that happens, I'm walking in darkness. And and, and you feel the, the heaviness. You feel the weight of all of that. What I love about John is he doesn't leave us there. He, he puts in this next section, verses 12 to 14, that just kind of stops us. And, and, and if there's any of us that are feeling that weightiness of, of walking in the darkness and everything, he stops and reminds us who we are such an important thing to have people in your life that remind you who you are, what God's purposes and plans are for you. Because it's very easy to get weighed down by uh, the guilt and the regrets 
and all of those other things that get in the way of our relationship with God. John doesn't want to leave us there. He wants to speak the truth. He's a realist. He tells us that there is a darkness. And this letter is revealing that there are people that are in this world, that are in the church, that are trying to lead you astray, that have a a teaching about Christ that is off. And he wants to warn us that, that if we follow after those teachings, we will be walking in darkness. He, he doesn't pull punches there, but he doesn't want to leave us there. He doesn't want to leave us without hope, feeling the weight and the regret. He wants to remind us who we are. And so we come to verses 12 to 14, and he says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him. You know Him who was from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the Word of God abides in you And you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray as we look at this word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word of encouragement, this reminder of who we are in you. On this this weekend of Thanksgiving, as we... uh, refocus our attention on giving thanks for all that you have done for us, for all of the good gifts that you put into our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray, I would pray that you would remind us here this morning of who we are. And in that reminder, that Your Spirit would then usher us into the light so that we can then go out into this world and give testimony to that light. So that our lives would shine that light into those who are still in darkness. And they would hear Your truth. They would feel Your love. And they would receive Your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Being reminded of you of who you are is such a, a powerful encouragement in our lives. When I was in college, um, I played basketball. I was on the basketball team. Um, I was not one of the best players on the basketball team. I had never really played uh, team on any kind of official team before high school. We'd fooled around ever since I was a kid. 
and we had a basketball hoop in our backyard. But I was never really on a team. I, I didn't have a full understanding of the game. Um, and, and so my first year was a real learning year. Um, I, I sat on the bench a lot. Um, I sat on the bench, but I was, I was a pretty vocal encourager. And in some ways, I was more of a cheerleader on the team than I was an actual player on the team. Um, but I enjoyed it. I had a great time. My second year of college, got back on the basketball team, and I was looking forward to it. I thought that I had learned quite a bit and that this year things were going to be different. Some of the, the, the seniors had graduated and moved on, so there were some openings on the team for some of the more consistent regular players and stuff. And I was anticipating that I was going to fill some of those spots and get a lot more playing time. Uh, which is way more fun than sitting on the bench and, and yelling, cheering and everything. And then it happened. The coach came up to me and said, Lauren, I want you to be our team captain this year. And I thought, yes! Here we go. I'm going to be the captain now, which means for sure Goose knows that I can play. He wants. He's going to put me in more. I, you can't be the team captain and just sit on the bench, right? And uh, I, I humbly accepted the role as team captain and uh, got through the, the preseason. And then we started playing some games. And, and I got in a few times, but I was still sitting on the bench quite a bit and still cheering loudly and encouraging the rest of the team. Uh, but I thought I was going to be playing more. And that went on for the next few games. We, we then came to one of our first tournaments where we went to some godforsaken little place in Saskatchewan that had a Bible school in the middle of nowhere. And uh, there was all these other guys coming to play. And, uh, and I thought, surely Goose will let me play here. And I sat on the bench for the first two games, and it was discouraging. And I was getting to the place of, why am I doing this? And I don't remember if I went and talked with, with, with Coach about, about that. I, I, I don't know if I went to him and said, well, you know, why, why do you have me as the captain if I'm not actually ever going to play? Um, what's up with that? I don't remember if I went to him or he came to me, uh, but he sat me down. And had this good long talk with me. And he reminded me of what my role was. He says, Lord, I asked you to be the coach, not because you are the best player on our team. Not because you are going to be the best leader out on the floor. But because the role that you have is as that encourager. You have done such an amazing job over these last two years of being that voice, that encouragement, that cheerleader. And he says, you, you don't understand the kind of leadership role that that has for everybody else on the team. You are an encouragement to everybody else and you help them with their work ethic. You help them through the difficult times. We weren't a great team. We, we lost quite a bit. He said, but you're always there. You're always encouraging us and I need you to keep on playing that role. That's why I asked you to be the captain. And suddenly I, I recognized I was 
made aware of what my role was. Of who I was on this team. And, and, and it didn't get a whole lot better. I still sat on the bench quite a bit. Um, but I knew why I was there. And I embraced the role and was able to get through some of the, the discouragements that, come, that came my way through that season. I think that's, that's what John is doing here for us. These people are, are, are facing some real struggles. The, the, the tension that, that was being created by these false teachers that were saying things about Jesus that just didn't make sense. You remember some of the, the false teaching that, that, um, uh, that, that was being bandied about in this area, that, that, that Jesus wasn't actually uh, born of a virgin. He was born of Mary, but that came through the, the normal consummation between Joseph and Mary. Uh, that Jesus was just a, a regular human like all the rest of us up until the point of His uh, baptism. And at that point, then the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Messiah, came on Him and He became the Christ. And then He went through His three years of ministry. And then just as He came to the, uh, to the arrest and, and to all of the, the suffering, because God can't suffer, the Spirit of Christ then left Jesus, and so then Jesus went through the arrest and the, the, the torture and, and, and ultimately the crucifixion all on His own. And the people were hearing this and they were going, but that's not exactly what we heard before. And if that's the case, how, how do we have the, the hope that it, it starts eroding our faith because we don't have a high priest who can understand everything because Jesus hasn't gone through all of this. It doesn't have the, the, the position of, of the divine Christ, the, the fully human, fully God understanding that we have and it starts eroding. And then these people, again, because of that, very similar to some other uh, uh, false teachings that we would hear today, what happens when you start replacing some of the understanding of who Christ is it starts replacing the way that we live out our faith and so there's much more of a legalistic kind of understanding Jesus as a man was not sufficient in uh, his righteousness wasn't sufficient for us because he was just a man just like one of us so we couldn't depend on the righteousness of Christ to keep us holy, to keep us sanctified. Instead, we needed to put together all of these rules and regulations for ourselves that guided and guarded our own hearts from falling into sin. And so not only was this false teaching undermining the reality of who Jesus was, it also then was replacing our freedom in Christ with all of the rules and regulations of Judaism once again. And calling people to go through the circumcision, to following all the dietary laws, to going through all of the feasts and everything else that goes along with Judaism, especially first century Judaism, with all of its misunderstandings and all of its laws and regulations and rules. And it became this heaviness and people were going through that. And it was, the, the tension was 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 creating all kinds of conflict in their hearts. And here we have John now telling us that when we hate our brothers, we are walking in darkness. And you go, oh, 
But I do that. So am I in darkness in this uncertainty? John wants to stop us from all of that questioning, all of that doubting. Where am I? Who am I? What do I have to do? Who's Christ? Brings it down to the very foundation of who we are. Little children. And when he talks to little children, as we read through here, that is a common phrase, a common title that he uses for everybody. It just is, he was an old man at this point and he just loved the church so much and he just spoke to them all like little children and wanting to, to see them grow up in all of this. And so it is a t- term of endearment. Little children. I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The weight that we feel, the the heaviness that that piles on top of us that Satan wants to, to, to continue to overwhelm us with is that we are sinners. We are walking in darkness and there's no way that God would have anything to do with us. John stops us and says, little children, your sins are forgiven. That is the hope of the Christian faith. That is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why when when first century people were sharing their faith, they were talking to people and saying, Jesus has raised from the dead so that you can be forgiven your sins. What was the proof? Jesus is raised from the dead. There is no more condemnation. There is no more regret. There is no more blame. We can have the hope that we were walking in darkness because all of our sins are forgiven. So in this, uh, these, we're seeing these three different people that, that John is, is writing to, but actually... He's writing these, when he says, I write to you little children, he's talking to everybody. That's the overarching speech that he's giving to all of us. But then he breaks it down a little bit further. And he addresses two other groups within that main group. He says, fathers, I'm writing to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. When he's speaking to fathers, we don't really know. It's, it's not likely that he was speaking to just elderly people, although I think that has a significant part to it. But he's speaking to those who are mature in the faith. Those that have been followers of Jesus for some time. And he's saying, you have known him who was from the beginning. Who is he speaking about? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The opening to His Gospel. Jesus is the one who was from the beginning. And when He's speaking to these old men, when He says, Fathers, you have known Him who was from the beginning, I would imagine there would be a number of people in these churches who had been there in Jerusalem during the Passover, during Pentecost, who had seen Jesus. They knew the truth of who He was. They had, they had heard the things that He had said. They had seen the things that He had done. They then had the opportunity after Christ had, had risen and, and had those 40 days between Passover and Pentecost that, that, that they were able to hear Jesus explore how the Old Testament teaches about who He was. And these men had, men and women had, 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 had drunk deeply from the wisdom and the truth and the love of Jesus. And John is reminding them, you know him who was from the beginning. It's so important for these, uh, these mature saints to be grounded in the thing that is true, that is right. Uh, to understand and remember who Jesus is and to be able to share that experience, that wisdom with others. The rest of the church needed these stalwart believers to remind everybody about who Jesus is. Have you met those men and women who have walked so long with Jesus that they just they just ooze his character? It's like you're sitting there talking with Jesus. We, we have been blessed here in this congregation uh, to have many of you who Jesus just shines so clearly out of. My, my grandparents was always amazing visiting Grandma and Grandpa Burke. Their, their stories were unbelievable of God's faithfulness through unthinkable times. And all of the, the pain and heartache and, and suffering that they had gone through, whether it was uh, in, in war-torn uh, uh, Russia, during the, uh, the revolution and all of that, the persecution that they faced. My grandfather uh, saw both of his parents die there in that place. He witnessed, he told stories of being able to watch the cannonballs fly back and forth. He was there when, when the, the, the Russian army came and, and persecuted the Mennonites and, and slashed and killed and raped and all of the rest of that kind of stuff. All of the horrors that he went through. And then he came to Canada as an orphan. And all of the, the, uh, the cruelty that he experienced as an orphan, as a, as a boy without anybody to protect him. And yet there was nobody that I know in my life 
who had more joy in his heart, more love for others than my grandpa. And to sit with him was to sit with Jesus. And, and grandma was the same. She didn't go through those struggles, but she had terrible health, all right from the little girl all the way up uh, to her, her final death. Uh, she had cancer and, and, and uh, nervous breakdowns and, and all kinds of terrible things, all reasons for her to be a cruel, bitter, angry woman. And yet, <laughs> to hear grandma laugh, To hear her speak those unintelligible words of low German about how sweet and poodle you little scheisser and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Never knew exactly what she was saying, but you knew it was good, whatever it was. The, the love that she would have for us. And, and not just for us, but for everybody doesn't matter who you were. If you came into the presence of Catherine Berg, you felt like the most special person in the world. A lady who had walked with Jesus. She was one of the fathers who knew Jesus who was from the beginning. We need those people in our church. We need those people who have walked with Jesus to bless the rest of us with knowing Him the way that you have known Him. You can't keep that stuff to yourself. You need to share that around. And then he says, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Oh, we need young men in our church. We need men and women who are passionate about following Jesus. Who are passionate about battling against all of the attacks that Satan would throw at them. Who who have unbridled energy to go out and share the good news of Jesus with a world that is going to, to resist that in every way possible. To engage in the conversation, to, in, to interact in the debate, to help people understand the truth about Jesus. In, in a time of persecution, to be able to, to take a stand for what is true and what is right without fear. We need young men in our church who have overcome the evil one. And he says in verse 14, I write to you, young men, because... You are strong. And the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. He repeats himself again. Young men, you need to remember. 
You do not overcome the evil one by being strong, by being antagonistic, by being brave, and, and all the rest of that kind of stuff that the world says that you need to be. You overcome the evil one by abiding in the Word. Young men, young women, there is no better place for you to be than immersed in the Word of God. There is no other way that you are going to overcome the attacks this culture is going to throw at you. There is no way that you are going to overcome all of the temptation that Satan is going to try and use in your life. There is no other way that you can overcome the evil that's within your own heart. That selfishness, that greed. The only way that you can overcome that is by abiding in the Word. Spending time reading the words of God and, and, and familiarizing yourself with what God sounds like, the kinds of things that God says. Devoting yourself daily, moment by moment in prayer. Listening for God to speak to you. Listening for the, the voice that you've heard here in the Word that He would then come and plant within your heart at the right moment for the plans and purposes that He has for you. That you would abide in the Word in gathering together with other believers and allowing God to speak you, to you through others, through those, maybe the, the fathers and mothers who have known Him who was from the beginning, that you would hear their experiences and be encouraged and be uplifted. It's by abiding in the Word that we have any hope of overcoming. And as we remember that we are God's little children, that our sins have been forgiven. And that we abide in Him so that we can know Him who is from the beginning. And the more times that we abide in the Word, we become more and more like Jesus so that one day we too will be fathers and mothers who have known Him who is from the beginning. And people will long to be with us so that they can get a taste of who Jesus is. When we are doing that, God is going to use us in powerful ways. I love the way that Murray takes those experiences, those blessings that God has put into his life and uses them to share his faith. To say, yeah, I love fishing. Fishing is awesome. But nothing compares to the glory of knowing Jesus. That Dave takes his his the sufferings that he has had 
the health concerns that that you two have faced not just in this last year but over over this over i was going to say centuries my goodness i don't mean that (laughs) over the years and the way that you have consistently given god the praise for healing for what he has done in your life that's what happens when you abide in the word God transforms you. He makes you like Jesus. And we have this impact on our world. The message of Jesus, of His, the the light of His love shines through our lives and invites others to join. That's what God has called us to here. That's who we are. And there are many people living around us who need to know that light. Who need us to abide in the Word so that they can find Jesus for themselves. Let's pray. Jesus, would you Would you come and remind us who we are? I pray that your Holy Spirit would would sweep through this place here this morning. that we would we would know you as you truly are Lord I know that there are those of us here that are that have been targets That we've allowed Satan to uh, to take the the mistakes, the sin that's in our lives, and to beat us down with that, to to rip away and steal away our hope. Spirit, would you come and would you remind us that our sins have been forgiven. Would you draw us into a place of of abiding in your word? Abiding with you so that, that more and more our lives would reflect your character. And would we have the joy 
through your spirit of seeing others discovering the light of your love for themselves and having their lives changed through knowing you. Even this Thanksgiving, Lord, would you use us to accomplish those purposes? We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Lauren. What a message for us this time of the year. One of my favorite desserts is pumpkin.